Retail Confessions from a Trend Expert is a podcast where we explore the latest trends and products by sharing shopping excursions and trying new products. Our host, a seasoned trend expert, will provide insights into the world of retail and share their experiences with you. Join us as we explore the latest trends and uncover what's hot and what's not in the retail world. Hello, everyone. Excited to dive in today. Today, my inspiration was Costco. So if you are a Costco fan or whether you try to avoid it due to all the traffic and all the people, we're going to be diving into some of the newest products that they're carrying and extrapolate from there the trends that we're seeing. So we're going to cover it all from food to electronics and everything in between. So whether you're a seasoned shopper there or you maybe you're a Sam's Club fan or another Clubhouse fan, we're going to dive deep into the world to really uncover the hidden gems and the trends that we're seeing as a result. So I love shopping at Costco. I feel like it's really indicative of a lot of mass market consumer trends, but also I feel like Costco does a really great job at things that are really truly emerging from a need perspective and then being the first to have those products. So given their scale and size, they're often able to work with brands directly to create new types of products. A lot of brands are going directly to them and you might have experienced this where you're pitching something that's unique. They've also recently featured a lot of direct-to-consumer brands and brands that are new to a lot of shoppers that maybe have a following online or have on a smaller scale gotten some popularity. But now with the Clubhouse offering, they're able to either get that in bulk or get a really kind of unique value proposition that is sort of disruptive to a national a national brand. So we're going to cover a lot of that in today's episode. And we definitely encourage you, there are a lot of really great Instagram accounts you can follow where they talk about emerging Costco products. And basically it's fan groups of people that go and buy things at Costco and talk about it. And I just, the commentary is so compelling. Like there was this lemon blueberry cake that everybody was tearing apart for not, I guess, tasting enough like lemon. So there's very kind of, I would say on a spectrum of innovation, like sort of pretty basic flavor trends and bakery items all the way through to we'll talk about the newest shark hair vac hair dryer and items that are a bigger ticket item and what consumers are thinking of those as well. So I want to start with the hair dryers actually. So we'll start with electronics, one of the more higher value categories. So I've been a huge fan of Dyson over the years. Several years ago, I asked for a Dyson hairdryer as my holiday present. And I found it really fascinating, this idea that they were taking something that had been relatively like there were some high-end dryers in the market, some salon grade quality ones, but they all sort of looked the same. There wasn't really a lot of differentiable innovation that was happening. And so whether you have a Dyson or maybe you don't even use a hairdryer, I'll talk about some of the benefits. It's Instead of all the weight being in the front of the dryer, it's sort of more evenly distributed into the handle. The airflow is more consistent and it, with the heat, it's more consistent. So you're not burning your hair as much. It delivers it, doesn't create as much damage to the hair. hair. And they also just talk about how it ultimately gives you a higher quality blowout or how it's able to actually make hair smoother. And there was a lot of tips of how to use it and to get a faster blow dry and your hair looking smoother and shinier. So there's a whole fan base around it. So Dyson has had enormous success branching out from household cleaners into the beauty market. 
So they call it their supersonic hairdryer. They also have an air wrap styler that's sort of like a curling iron, but it uses airflow. To me, that's even more innovative because in the past you had to use sort of a hot iron and you could burn your hair where with the air wrap, it's a lot, it's a lot lower heat and it's also a lot healthier for the hair. So they've created this concept of, hey, we have all this expertise in airflow technologies and airflow precision. Why don't we take that and expand it into a category that one has high margins, high growth, and has a really dedicated fan base, beauty. So when you think of vacuum cleaners, even though Dyson, from a design perspective, sort of has a cult following, it's not necessarily a category where people are super, you know, especially with younger consumers, super loyal. Sometimes it comes down to what's the cheapest price on Amazon for a vacuum or you know, you're moving and you run out and get a vacuum or you, you know, get it as a holiday present or something you ask your families for as more of a utilitarian gift. So what I think is interesting, but with the hair dryers, you start to get more into brand loyalty because once you find one that works, you're going to branch out to other products that also use this technology. They even have an airflow straightener now. And so I think there's something really interesting about that from their brand's perspective. They also, if you go into the Dyson store, they show their first prototype of the hairdryer, which was basically like a toilet paper roll. It's kind of funny to see and made from cardboard materials all the way through to the millions of dollars that went into the final prototype. And they talk about how when they started their vacuum, one of their vacuum products was the number one seller. And now their hairdryer is the number one seller. So it gave me goosebumps going into the store and just hearing that because those are the kind of innovations that we're really after, right? Like things that blow us away with the success and sort of have this runaway popularity and fan base. And it basically sparks a whole new universe that we weren't expecting. So I thought it was really interesting. And when we think of other vacuum brands, you could imagine maybe some of their innovation was about making a better vacuum or a smaller vacuum or a car vacuum. And they might not have been necessarily considering like, what if we go into beauty, which sort of sounds crazy if you think about it. And they were able to really inspire other brands to do the same. So at Costco now, there's the Shark Hyper Air. So Shark has really confirmed their plans to follow in the footsteps of Dyson and creating their own range of, they call them intelligent stylers. So they have the Shark Hyper Air hairdryer and they're the number one brand in vacuums. They actually have a bigger footprint than Dyson. And their goal is to take a lot of the rings from Dyson and create their own version of this success. So they say their hairdryer is ultra fast drying, no heat damage. It's designed to create any look for all hair types. And they really want to encourage their customers to upgrade their old styling and tools and to really encourage them to upgrade to this higher quality hairstyler. So they've now branched out, you know, they're at Costco now where Dyson is not. So I think it's, it's really interesting to see if they'll be able to get obviously more market share and a wider footprint. So they're really following in terms of innovation and leveraging the success that they've seen their competitor do in Dyson. So I thought, just wanted to highlight this innovation strategy. When Dyson entered the personal care market, they said they wanted to think of technology that would make an interesting product instead of looking at it from a commercial point of view. So I thought that was so interesting because, you know, what data would have told them that they should go into beauty outside of looking at trends and seeing that beauty is such a fast growth driver that people are willing to spend a lot of money in the space, but not necessarily from, you know, brand perspective. I think it would have been hard for a consumer to really, really pitch Dyson as a beauty brand. I'm sure if you asked a luxury beauty consumer, Hey, would you spend, you know, $300 if, if a vacuum cleaner company made a hairdryer, people probably would have said, well, no, like why 
they don't have any expertise. They're not a salon brand. So I think there's something to be said of, you know, there's looking at what the high growth categories are and figuring out how to enter and thinking of your brand and its unique equities. Once you have that prototype and you're able to explain it, well, hey, we're an expert in airflow. We're an expert at heat control, or we've actually invested a ton of money to understand this challenge and this consumer. Then there's sort of believability at that point, but not necessarily as a precursor. So I think it's what comes first, you know, the chicken or the egg. They did the work to, to get out there and to understand They've actually spent over $100 million in their hair care lab research and $32 million on the Corel, which is the flat iron with air. And of course, a lot of this came after their success with the dryer. So it just shows you the, the scale that they've been able to achieve in terms of getting it out there to that audience and now really understanding that consumer to stay in that market. So the next one I'm going to talk about is Pendleton. So if you are a Costco shopper, you might have seen the brand Pendleton. They have these sort of gorgeous blankets, these Sherpa fleeces, these cozy blankets with these kind of beautiful patterns and vibrant sort of Southwestern colors to them. And what I found interesting is that they partner with Costco to offer these products at a more affordable price point. So if you're familiar with Pendleton, the original blankets are you know, hundreds of dollars. They're often one of a kind and very usually at a high-end boutique or hotel. And so when you see the pattern, it's very distinguishable and recognizable. But now um, the brand has actually started making these products in China. So they're not wool. They're not made in the U.S., which is different from their traditional blankets. But they've been able to expand that, expand that brand equity to other kinds of products to get recognition from the Costco shopper. So I actually bought one of their picnic blankets, and it came in a Pendleton pattern and it's something that unfolds that you can take with your kids. You can wipe it down. You can have an on-the-go picnic anywhere. They create throw covers and for the size of a king bed or queen bed, duvets, and also things around the holidays where you want a warm blanket, a throw cover. So they've, I think it's interesting here is just the brand partnership in terms of what products make sense, knowing that their equity is sort of in this warmth and luxurious space and bedding space. And then how do you extend that to different seasons? So you would think of a lot of those things are like colder weather seasons, but now they're getting into summer with things like picnic blankets. And you could, I could even see them ex extending more into camping stuff. So maybe it's a camping duvet or things that can go inside of a tent for coziness, or if you want to sit around the fire. So it'd be interesting to see what else they do. So Going on a slightly different bend into snacking now. So if you've seen Dunkaroos back in the 90s, these were a really popular snack. They were cookies that you basically dip inside of frosting. And as a kid, I, I remember having those at lunches or having like a similar kind of competitive product where you dip cookies and chocolate or vanilla frosting. In the 90s, we weren't the healthiest with our, with our snacks. We, I don't think we had anything functional, maybe outside of a granola bar. And Dunkaroos, were sort of a, a, you know, basically a glorified dessert that you considered a snack that you would put in your lunch bag. So General Mills actually got rid of these in the 90s due to them wanting to focus on healthier, more nutrition snacking, nutritious snacking. So they discontinued them in 2012. However, they started getting a lot of requests for the return of this. And I can attest to this. So a few years ago, I was following a junk food blogger and they were talking about how Dunkaroos were in Canada, but they weren't available in the US and people were 
like, oh my gosh, like I remember those from childhood. I really want those back. I really want to try that frosting again. And what I thought was interesting is that this request and consumers getting so interested in this brand and this nostalgia and the brand receiving thousands of requests that they actually brought it back. So if you go to Costco or I even sell them at Party City, which felt kind of weird, but they sell them a lot of different channels now and they've sort of made a mass return. And they said they're continued, they're committed to keeping it available in the long term. And even the New York Times wrote, like, why are Dunkaroos back? <laughs> and they had a whole article on it in 2020, which if you think back to that time during COVID, we all wanted a sense of nostalgia, things that reminded us of childhood, of safety, of comfort, indulgence. And and then coming out of that, there's been definitely a return to more indulgent snacking again, and everything is not healthy anymore. I mean, even Gen Z and Gen Z actually is more loyal to Taco Bell and McDonald's than millennials are. And there's been this return to food that does serve a purpose of indulgence or a treat state or something that reminds us of childhood. So just an interesting signal that we're seeing and, and something to think about when you think of the nostalgic aspects that maybe appeal to your brand, but how do you do it maybe in a way that makes it modern and fresh for this audience? And, you know, I don't know how well Dunkaroos is doing from a sales perspective, but I think it's just the strategy of bringing back old products. And, but also, is there a way to make it newer, to make it more exciting? I will say from my perspective, what's interesting is I, I wouldn't let my kids have Dunkaroos right now. My kids are six and four. And I feel like the kind of snacks that I try to look for things that do balance out indulgence and function. So having like a cliff kids protein bar, that is a chocolate flavor, but they're still getting protein. They're still getting some type of benefit out of that product. You know, it doesn't have to be as exotic as like an adaptogen or a functional mushroom product because I'm not even really sure what that would do for them. But I, it is about what can I balance out so that their blood sugar is not going through the roof or it's not causing them to have cravings after the fact or, you know, getting them kind of addicted to the thrill of sugar. So I think for a lot of parents compared to the 90s, we're much more conscious of that functional balance, but functional doesn't necessarily have to mean exotic or expensive. It can mean things like protein, fiber, especially with kids. A lot of what you hear about is, you know, constipation and making sure they're getting enough hydration, making sure they're getting enough fiber in their diet. And that can be hard, especially with kids not wanting to eat vegetables and, you know, wanting to go towards food that obviously they feel like tastes good and not bitter profile. So you do lose a lot of fiber opportunities with kids. So I think there are things that we could think about that are easier ins, especially with that audience in balancing out, how do you balance out indulgence with a functional benefit that a parent's going to gravitate towards? So one of my favorite areas of Costco is a fresh food section. I'm always browsing and I love that they have good variety and that they've had things like taco platters or turkey wrap platters. And one that's pretty interesting is they now have Euro kits at Costco. So their strategy overall is to have family meals where they have what they think is more high, high quality, which I will say a lot of these fresh meals options do feel you know, high quality, especially when you compare it to maybe a grocery store's offering sometimes where it can feel like the food quality is not the highest, especially in fresh food sections. And they want to make it affordable. So, you know, for $15, you can feed your entire family, which is becoming more and more of a deal when you compare it to fast food prices. 
And then also convenient. So it's convenient, obviously, to grab an entire platter. Mealtime is done. You just have to stick it in the microwave or the oven or a crock pot. And they're doing this through their meal kit. So they're not, it's not something you have to go and cook as much as heat up, but they're doing it with the Euro kits, with the taco kits, with, they have like a soup kit. And the Euro one, they have seasoned meat, pita bread, tzatziki sauce, and they're meant to feed a family of four. So they're also thinking of kind of common family configurations to make it accessible. So I think it's interesting to think about this in terms of pre-made meals, frozen meals, bulk food items. How can we help people make larger meals at home? One of the issues I always have with like Blue Apron or Marley and Spoon or any of those meal kits is that while I do order them, I do it because my kids are young and they don't necessarily want to eat with us at this time or eat, you know, meals that are more gourmet, but it creates this tension where there, I have to cook something separately for them or something that feels more appropriate for their age. And so then you're cooking two meals and I'm also not going to spend $12 for each of us, especially at their age. They don't, they're not going to eat it all, or they're going to waste some of it. So how can we think about family meal innovation in a different way? And even think about this from frozen food to fresh and also just how meal times have really changed. So I was thinking about this, but you know, when I was growing up, my family would make a hot meal every night and looking at trends, this has definitely changed. I think like the stat is like less than like 20% of families do that today where they sit down and actually eat together. It's much more about each person sort of having like a mini meal or having kind of a variation of a family meal at a time that works for them. And obviously snacking plays a huge role in today's meal culture as well. And so how do we create meal options that are going to appeal to a family knowing that they're probably going to snack before and after it might be grab and go. It might be like someone's eating part of it before practice and the rest of it when they get back. So we have to think of this idea of mobility in food and the fact that, you know, it has to be something that someone's going to want to preheat or eat later. And so how do we kind of innovate on this idea of the $5 pizza or how do you innovate on the rotisserie chicken? But these are really bulk drivers and even Costco will not give up their hot dogs because of how much traffic that drives into the store. So an interesting insight I had reading modernretail.com is that more direct-to-consumer brands are entering warehouse clubs. So I find this fascinating. It's definitely a strategy I've seen at Target and Walmart and other retailers where they're integrating a lot of brands that have started direct-to-consumer and now they're introducing it to a wider audience. And what's interesting about this is you know, for years I've heard with brands, they always say that they, you know, want their, re they think of the retailers as partners. So they're often thinking like, how do we develop exclusive products for them? But we also don't want to sell it on our website because, you know, the retailer could potentially get upset with us. And so how do we create, you know, how do we sell just directly through retailers? But now retailers are starting to have a lot more direct to consumer brands. So obviously that changes some of that national brand dynamic with the retailer because there is a lot more fragmentation that's happening, a lot more brands in each aisle and reaching different audiences. So Blue Land is one that we're now starting to see at club, at warehouse clubs. They, I think they're interesting because they started out, if you're familiar with Blue Land, they're all about refillable cleaning. So they give you forever bottles that they then give you tablets that you dissolve into water so that you're basically not paying for water to go back and forth through shipping. So instead of buying window cleaner where, you know, it's 98% water and maybe 2% chemicals, 
you're just paying for the tablet chemical and then using your own water. So the concept is, you know, easy to understand. You can see how that would save a lot of weight and you're not paying for plastic back and forth. You're getting a nice glass bottle. So one that Costco now has is Blue Land innovated and created not just cleaners, but they have a toilet bowl cleaner. That's a tablet and it's packaged in hundred percent post-consumer recycled materials. Um, they're third-party tested against conventional products. They, they say that they're high performance, they're value-oriented, they're eco-friendly. And you can see where a lot of those values would appeal, and especially they're making it easy for consumers. So they've targeted warehouse clubs now to expand their reach and also additional revenue stream in, in addition to direct-to-consumer sales. So they have a 30-tablet bulk pack of its popular toilet bowl cleaner now available at Costco nationwide. I haven't bought it yet, but I did see the packaging on Instagram and it looked really interesting. It really stood out. It looked like recycled packaging in terms of it being sort of that recycled brown color and then their branding on it. So I believe based on what I saw in the packaging, you'd have to have your own bottle at home or maybe with a toilet cleaner, you just drop the tablet in the toilet. But it's interesting to see now this zero waste packaging headed to warehouse clubs and how that will change the types of products that national brands will also will also sell there. Another brand we also saw that focuses on the fact that they're 100% recyclable, that they're really about reducing landfill waste is Monday Hair Care. So this is a brand of hair care products that is created from hair enthusiasts from New Zealand. They talk about having affordable luxury formulas. So it's all about accessibility and being inclusive with salon branding. And their hair care is very recognizable. It's all pink, kind of that millennial online pink color. And it looks like a direct-to-consumer brand. And they have now four shampoos and conditioners. They have essential plant extracts in them. They avoid sulfates. And the brand only costs $7.99 per bottle. So that's really affordable. If you've ever bought more premium shampoo, you know that sometimes it could range up to you know $35, $50 a bottle for something that's plant-based, something that's a salon quality. So they've also developed refillable pouches. They really focus on sustainability. So just another kind of foray for Costco into the space, but also another direct-to-consumer brand. And the last product I'm going to focus on today is my husband's favorite product. So we were at Costco and we saw a huge display of something called the, bat the Battery Daddy. And instantly I was like, wow, that brand name is like really distinguishable. Like I thought about it since then. And every time I see it, I kind of smile thinking like, wow, it's such a fun, goofy name. And the battery daddy is sort of what it sounds like. It's a storage system for batteries. It can store up to 180 batteries, silicone batteries. It's designed to store batteries so that you don't have a bunch of batteries floating around inside of a junk drawer or out on your countertop. And then it has a clear lid so you can easily see what you have available. You can carry it with you. And I thought this was really interesting that they also have a battery tester to check the power of the batteries. So you can see if it's a battery that's still viable, or maybe, you know, you put back a dead battery, hoping to recycle it later. I've done that before and you end up trying to use dead batteries. So when I was looking at who created this company, it's, you know, it's going to be like a aha kind of moment. They were created by Scrub Daddy. If you're familiar with that product, it was on Shark Tank years ago. It's those scrubs that have a smiley face and they became very popular. They're at almost all retailers. And now this is their new product that they created, the battery daddy, battery daddy. So kind of an interesting innovation that they're still in this home goods, homeware space, but moved into organization 
and not just cleaning. So it's kind of interesting. They're kind of focusing on these hero product strategies where they create kind of a hero story around one product and get it out there. And I have to say, like everyone I've talked about with the battery battery, they know exactly like what I'm talking about and usually have seen it at Costco. So it's one of those products that has a lot of great merchandising and it really does stick out as a, as a pain point. Like what else, you know, outside of creating your own system for batteries, like most people don't have a solution for storage of batteries today. So those are kind of the areas that that were interesting at this, this recent kind of foray into Costco. So everything you can tell from electronics moving into new categories to using a brand like Pendleton to extend it to a bunch of different home categories to nostalgia plays that we're seeing kind of come back at a mass scale to meal kit strategy and fresh food options to direct to consumer starting to take over a lot of these aisles to storage and organization and also this hero product strategy that we see with Battery Daddy. So definitely recommend you, you check out Costco for innovation if you're shopping for yourself and your family or in general, if you're not a club shopper, highly recommend you go to some club stores. They often have a lot of times these really unique products given the scale that they're able to achieve that you don't find at other types of retailers. And with that, I will see you next time. Next time when I do a deep dive into trends that I'm finding out in the market.